0: Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon.
2: Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Donald Trump. Uh, that's Donald, uh, I'm No, I'm not Donald Trump. I've got Donald Trump on the brain, unfortunately. Uh, welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C., and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My firm, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to contact me is on Twitter uh, at Brad Bannon. Welcome to all of you who are watching us on Periscope TV. Now, everyone can watch us on Periscope TV uh, by going to periscope.tv front slash That's periscope.tv front slash You can also watch Deadline DC on Facebook by visiting tinyurl.com forward slash BB Facebook Live. Our guest in the first half hour is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA, uh, who joins us in the first half hour. Uh, the second in the second half hour, our guest on the provocative progressive political panel today are Will Juando. Uh, Will is a council member at large in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is in the D.C. suburbs. And joining Will on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Our first guest today is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus USA. Her analysis has been featured on several national radio, television, and print radio outlets, including uh, Stateside with David Schuster, as well as The Washington Post, The Atlantic, CNN, MSNBC, This Week, Hollywood Reporter, and more. Maybe someday I'll get into The Holiday Reporter, but probably not. Uh, the website for Politicus is politicususa.com. Uh, the Twitter handle is Politicus uh usa uh sarah's handle is politicus sarah Uh, welcome to deadline dc sarah Uh, welcome Uh, this is your second time on the show and i'm glad you were brave enough to come back on after having uh, been on with me before not everyone has the guts to do that thank you
1: (laughs) it was my pleasure to come back and thank you for having me on this crazy uh ride we've been on
2: yeah, it's been a crazy ride, uh, as probably people who uh, uh, listen to the intro know, I've got Donald Trump on the brain today. Uh, today, I believe at about five o'clock Eastern time, uh, California will cast its electoral votes, which will put uh, Joe Biden over the 270 mark he needs uh, to become next president of the United States. Uh, but uh, the current president and his lackeys have a difficult time accepting that. And, uh, you know, there were some troubling events over the weekend. Uh, there were supporters uh, de- uh, um, demonstrating in Washington, D.C. Uh, they vandalized a couple of black churches, uh, took down Back Lives Matters. Uh, signs. Uh, A couple of people were stabbed in the melee. There was also a confrontation in Olympia, Washington, where someone was shot. Uh, You know, I have this constant debate, Sarah, and I was wondering if you could uh, help sort it through me. Are, Are we, are are we, you know, losing our democracy in the United States? Uh, I'm uh, am I overreacting? I mean, we've had incidents of violence as before and uh, disputes over presidential elections. But, you know, it seems to me that uh, the Trump refusal to accept the election results. Uh, we're in very dangerous and troubled waters, maybe a slippery slope. Uh, what, what's your take on this?
1: Well, I have to agree. I mean, I don't want to uh, fearmonger people, but I think that we have to be realistic and look at what's going on. We have had these problems before, but they've never been coming from the top. We have a president who incites violence. He's been doing that since he has been in office, and he has now developed a very devoted cult. They uh, heard those calls, and they are willing to take action the, the, um, one of the marches, their march on in Washington on Saturday that was attended by thousands. And I don't think that's quite really the crowd, why we are all being governed by such a minority. I don't know, but, um, they, they, uh, you know, they were saying we have to fight this election. We have to, it's bloodshed. Um, they definitely, they were equating Trump to Jesus um, and using that trick that people do when, you know, we saw Hitler use it very effectively, and I'm not comparing Trump to Hitler, but the tactic is the same, is to say an attack on Trump is an attack on, on us. And so every time um, somebody counts other people's votes, these folks are going to feel victimized by it. And they do. And you saw that. they, One of the woman, uh, women, uh, the the woman who came up in michigan um was their star witness who happens to be a criminal um a computer criminal she uh was up there saying you know well um they are diluting my vote um your your vote is not diluted when other people's votes are counted right so that is a problem and then we have 126 house republicans who joined the amicus brief to overturn certified votes um, of actual citizens. That's not normal, and that's not okay. I don't know. I think what I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, and I think it really should be the topic of, of conversation, because I'm I'm really tired of Trump taking up all the air, and so we can never group as, as a country, we could never get together and have dialogues about how to overcome what he's done, because he's always lobbing a new bomb into the middle of any discussion. Very effective tactic so that we can never look at what's happening and get around it.
2: Okay, well, do you, let, let's. Uh, that leads me to uh, another topic. Uh, We've got all sorts of uh, danger signs, it seems to me, uh, that foretell uh, really tough times for Joe Biden's presidency. Uh, We don't know yet. We won't know until uh, January 6th whether Joe Biden has a Democratic Senate majority to work with. Um, If he doesn't, uh, he's going to have a difficult time get anything passed in the Senate. Uh, which will limit his ability to deal with the grave problems facing the nation. Uh, I've seen poll national polls last week that shows that anywhere from 75 to 80 percent of the Republicans uh, in the nation don't accept the fact that he won the election. So my question is, um, how do you deal with this if you're Joe Biden? Uh, you know, there are some major problems he has to solve as president. And with so many Republicans not even accepting the fact of his election, and maybe with Mitch McConnell in the driver's seat in the Senate, how does Joe Biden deal with that?
1: That's a great question. And I mean, one of the things that that gives me a little bit of relief and a little bit of calm through this is that Joe Biden's been here before. He might be making all this pleasant talk about his good relationships with Republicans, but he was in the White House when uh, Mitch McConnell and both the Republicans in the House and the Senate were obstructing uh, President Obama uh, for anything he wanted to do for the country and for the people. So he knows what's going on and he knows that he's got to get around this somehow if he can. So, um, you know, he does have the we've I'm sure you've discussed it. And I think you um, have, you know, he has a slew of executive orders he can do to undo some of the Trump damage. One of the good things that I think that he's done in spite of the criticism he's gotten is if you look at his cabinet, you can see that... Okay, Sarah,
2: we're going to have to go to break now. We'll continue this discussion with Sarah Jones, the editor-in-chief of Politicus USA, when we get back from these messages with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. And uh, don't go away. We're going to continue with our Periscope TV viewers. Uh, Our radio listeners will be back in a couple of minutes after these messages. But uh, either way uh Hang in there. We'll be back very soon.
1: Democrats already tried appeasing Republicans. And it doesn't.
2: If work. you miss Leslie on TV we this have week, seen no catch up at Marshall Marshall. And
1: I'm not suggesting I have. We do have a bipartisan group of uh Republicans and Democrats who work together on COVID legislation. But you know, Mitch McConnell. Would-
2: Let's continue that discussion, Sarah, because our radio audience is rejoining us. Uh, this is uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, my guest in this half hour, is Sarah Jones, editor-in-chief of Politicus uh, USA. Uh, if you'd like to contact Sarah, uh, her Twitter handle is Politicus uh, Sarah, that's P-O-L-I-T-I-C-U-S-S-A-R-A-H. Uh, well, let, let's take... Let's this, this take this example about the pandemic, which I, I think is an important issue. Essentially, what Mitch McConnell is willing to do uh, is offer about, I believe, a trillion dollars worth of pandemic aid uh, in return for all sorts of protection for businesses, liability protections. Now, back in May or even before that, the House of Representatives passed a uh, bill. Uh, a relief bill that was three times as large. Uh, and so the question is, and I mean, this is a real vote that Democrats going to have to take. Do they uh, take Mitch McConnell's deal uh, of his economic package with the liability protection for business? Or uh, what if the choice is either doing that or nothing? Which do Democrats do in the Senate?
1: Well, I know that yesterday um, uh, that bipartisan group was again working on something and and the Democrats had compromised that they were willing to let go of local aid, which they feel is very important. And, you know, that would go to frontline workers. And it is really important. They were willing to come back to that and move forward uh, by letting that sit there and wait as long as we could get immediate relief to the people and give uh, Republicans that no, we're not going to do the state and local aid right now. Um, that seems like a reasonable compromise. Will Mitch McConnell bring that to the floor? I, you know, that's where we always run into this problem. And even some Republican senators were saying, "We don't know what's going on. Uh, we don't know what's happening with Mitch McConnell." So Democrats are always in this position about what to give up. Um, and it seems they, that way. Yes. Yeah. And what to give up. And it's not it's to give up for the people. And then there's going to be the folks that are going to say, well, you know, you want this relief for the people. How are you going to pay for it? I would say that we just passed this. Uh, what is it? Seven hundred and forty billion NDAA bill. No one asked that. No one asked why. Where's that money coming from? And we have people in this country, you know, who are going to starve they're going to lose their home they're going to be kicked out of their apartment they shouldn't have to be in the situation of working in the middle of a pandemic that has you know has had no federal coordination and no protection so democrats again they're in this situation they've got to figure out what to give up until democrats find some way saying this is the other thing they have to choose are they going to legislate for the people or are they going to uh, do what Republicans do if only to hold Republicans accountable so that Republicans learn that there's consequences for what they're doing? That's the only way these Republicans are ever going to stop doing this is if it costs them something.
2: Well what will you know what you know what can Democrats do to get to that point?
1: I mean, because they really could, they don't have a lot of options. But one thing, you know, we've already talked about and touched on a little bit is that Joe Biden can do the same kind of executive order flurry. And we know he's planning on doing that that uh, Donald Trump did. He's going to take flack for that. We're going to say, oh, you're expanding executive power. I have written extensively against expanding executive power, but we are at the point now, and I did that under President Obama, but we are at the point now where this is the only ch- chance that we have to uh, protect our democracy, and it, is, it we are at that point. I see several Republicans acknowledging that, um, not elected Republicans, mind you, but Republicans of good conscience and good faith. Um, we are at a crossroads here. One of the things they could do, and I don't think they're going to do this, but those 126 Republicans, who House Republicans, who signed on to that amicus brief to overturn the votes, legitimate votes of millions of people in this country, could be uh, sanctioned. They could even have a you know, refusal to seat them. That's never going to happen. But it's a good thing to have out there. We did have a Democrat call for that, and uh, when um, I shared Honest that story,
2: Bill Pascal of New Jersey, exactly,
1: yes, and exactly. Um, and we, when I shared that story, people, I had these conservatives writing me saying, "Well, wait till Republicans get in the House." And my what, what I wanted to say was, we don't have to wait for them to get in the House. It is it, their reaction to grabbing power and punishing Democrats isn't about what the Democrats did before that. It's never a reaction to that. If there's any power that they can grab, they will. They've already proven that by trying to overturn this election, not just once. But we've had the the Trump administration, 59 failed attempts, you know, court attempts to overturn this election. I think they've lost any moral high ground to make the argument.
2: And many of those decisions were rendered by Republican-appointed judges, and even in some cases, Trump-appointed judges.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: Okay. Well, let's uh, let me ask you this. Uh there's I think widespread agreement that there are certain things that Joe Biden executive orders that Joe Biden's going to issue very quickly after he becomes inaugurated. He's inaugurated on January 20th. Uh to rejoin uh the pa- uh the Paris environmental accords, uh to rejoin the World Health Organization. Uh, to basically put the uh, uh, DACA program back into existence uh, for uh, young children who were brought to this country by their parents. Uh, What other executive orders would you urge Joe Biden to move on very quickly?
1: Uh, Well, you know, to, to undo the Trump undermining of the Affordable Care Act, um, to strengthen the Affordable Care Act. And then there Actually, are. Actually,
2: that's uh, Joe Biden by executive order uh, could extend uh, Medicare, Medicaid uh, to hundreds of thousands of Americans by executive order.
1: Exactly. That's the kind of thing that I think that he I think he's willing to do that, actually, as well. I I see a lot of criticism of Joe Biden as a moderate, and I don't really see him that way. I think he comes across as a moderate and nor do I think he's some flaming liberal. But I I think that he has the same goals that liberals do. And it's all about how he gets there. Um, But, you know, he was one of the first people to come out with an environmental uh, bill, way back um, before that was sort of the cool thing to do. I think he cares a lot about the people and I think he's going to Violence use that against, executive power.
2: One of the original sponsors of the Violence Against Women Act
1: too. Yes, he was. And that act um, actually saved my life. And so I, I uh, and I've talked to many women who have been in that situation and it's been very important. You know, we have three women murdered every day in this country by a former partner. So we need all the help we can get with that.
2: Okay, Sarah, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, Sadly, we're out of time. We hope you can join us again. Uh, Our guest in this half hour has been Sarah Jones, the Editor-in-Chief of Politicus USA. Uh, Have a happy holiday, Sarah, and uh, we look back to having you after the first of the year. Thanks very much.
1: Thanks so much for having me
2: follow leslie on twitter just go to www.twitter.com slash leslie marshall and we'll be sure to share your tweets welcome to deadlines ec with brad bannon uh, as usual we will uh, have our provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour of the show uh but before that Uh, Let me tell you what's on my mind. The late great speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Sam Rayburn, could have been talking about Donald Trump uh, and Joe Biden when he said, any jackass can kick a barn down, but it takes a good carpenter to build a good one. Biden's experience has made him a competent, a competent carpenter, but he will need to prove that he can be an ambitious architect to solve the grave problems facing the presidency and the nation. The future of the nation is up for grabs, and show is, so is Joe Biden's presidency. The success or failure of his administration depends on his ability to fight through the institutional barriers that will try to hamstring him uh, in the performance of his duties. The motto of the Biden administration should be, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Now we join our provocative progressive political panel. Our guest on the panel today is Will Jawando, uh, who, uh, who is a council member at large on the Montgomery uh, Montgomery County Maryland Council. Uh, Will was described as a, the progressive leader we need by the reverend civil rights activist John Lewis and Congressman John Lewis. Will served as an associate director of the White House Office of Public Engagement, followed by a position as an advisor to the U.S. Secretary of Education, Arnie Duncan, in the U.S. Department of Education. Uh, so he is a, uh, like many of the Biden appointees, he's a veteran of the Obama, uh, administration. Joining Will on the panel today is progressive political activist, Mark Gamaldi. Mark has worked for several Democratic presidential candidates, include, including Joe Biden. Mark is also active in campaign finance reform and efforts to promote cancer research, uh, Mark's uh, Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. That's G R I M A L D I. Will's uh, pl- uh, Twitter handle is Will Jawando. That's W I L L. J A W. Let me get this right here because I know I've. A N D O. Okay. Uh, Will J A W A N D O. Uh, Welcome, panel. Let's start off with this. Uh, As we speak, there's a debate going on in Congress um, about a pandemic relief package. Uh, Will, you're a local government official. uh, So tell us why it's very important uh, for Congress to uh, enact, uh, uh, to spend money uh, to help beleaguered uh, cities, towns and counties in this nation. Will. Okay. Uh, Mark. Okay. Will. Uh, tell us why it's so important for Congress to pass the pandemic, pandemic relief package.
3: Yeah. Sorry about that. I think I popped away for a oh, second. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, can you hear me?
3: Yes. Okay. Um, well, it's absolutely critical. I mean, and I'm not just saying that. Because I think so, I know so. I mean, I'm we're at the front lines. You know, we have 1.1 million residents, so we're in the category of jurisdictions where, if you have 500,000 or more, you get directly from the federal government the, the re- relief. Uh, and we've we had uh, you know 183 million that we got in the CARES Act way back when. That has all been accounted for. Uh, we have significant need, and so that state and local money uh, to take care of you know things like rental assistance, food. Uh, we have so many people that are uh, lining up at these food distributions. I've been going to a lot of them. So the unemployment insurance, just go down the list. I mean, people are just in such dire need, um, and that's why it's really critical that at this be passed. And and it's it's unfortunate that they're arguing over some of these, you know, liability insurance and and all those things that that McConnell has made a big deal about. But we that's why I supported the the, the a compromise package because we at least need to get something out the door as quick as possible, and I and hopefully we can come back in January and and do more with the Biden Harris administration. But the bottom line is people are suffering right now, uh, and we need to get the money out as soon as possible. Uh, and you know, the longer you wait, the worse it's going to get.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, let me ask you a question: Are, are there are there food banks in Montgomery County? Yes, well, Capital Area Food Bank is the
3: main one. We have Mana Food Center. Yes, we do have a number. Yeah.
2: Now I saw I've seen stories about uh, food banks in the last week or so being completely uh, overwhelmed by demand. Uh, is that true uh, in the Capital Area? It is. Yeah, we've seen we've seen a
3: several hundred percent increase in demand. Uh, you know, I go to. I was involved in starting one of our largest food distributions in the eastern part of our county. But we have eight regional hubs now around the county that are providing services and as well as delivering meals to people who can't come out and seniors. And there's just never enough. I mean, there's there's always more requests. There's always people who are at these food distributions when the food runs out and there's still a line. Uh, it's, it's the most devastating thing uh, that when that happens, uh, we take their information and we try to get them connected. But It's uh, it's a huge need. And we're we're in a situation where our median income is one hundred and seventeen thousand a year. But that just means things cost more, too. And so people are strained on their rent, on their, you know, on uh, their housing costs, on food, on childcare if they've got to go to work. And so go go down the the list. And and we've seen those types of numbers uh, as far as lines here as well.
2: And imagine what it's like in some poor rural county in Kentucky. Uh, where there's absolutely no money to begin with, even in the best of times. You know, how how can Mitch McConnell so blithely ignore the suffering in the United States? You know, wh- what allows him to do that? I guess maybe we need a psychologist on the show <laughs> uh, to answer that question. But it drives me mad because I keep seeing these stories nationally about how food banks are overwhelmed. Uh, it's been... Uh, you know, uh, months since Congress passed any kind of pandemic relief uh, and the pandemic's getting worse and better. Mark, what do you think allows uh, Joe Biden to, I mean, uh, Mitch McConnell to ignore these, this suffering? It just boggles my mind. I don't get it.
0: I've, I've, Thought about that myself when it came to the Affordable Care Act and I remember when they were trying to repeal it during the first two uh, years of the Trump administration and I know that they looked like they were going to be able to do so and I recall a story where um, this particular uh, not nonprofit that had to do with polio wrote a letter and also publicly wrote the letter to Mitch McConnell asking him to not cut the Affordable Care Act or not repeal it. And the the incredible story was that they provided services to save his life as a child. Um, and the man wouldn't even take a meeting with them. I, I recall instead, he took a, a meeting with these high-powered lobbyists at the time. And to me, that just encapsulated so much about the man it was all about take whatever you can get for yourself and those in high places and to hell with everyone else and you can try to he could try to dress it up in whatever he way he wants but he also said it more recently when he called himself the grim reaper and that whatever legislation comes to his desk is yeah he seems to take
2: pride in yes uh, exactly
0: so i think looking for any soul in these people is a mistake and you have to treat them as such and you know they only understand power so um in his case anyway uh, to to uh, appeal to those uh you know in his position you need to get his constituents calling him unfortunately he was just reelected for a six-year term um then i would say target other vulnerable republican senators who will then put pressure on him um that's the way you have to strategize Uh, will you know would be able to speak to this in a better position than I am as he is, you know, an elected office, but I'm sure you've encountered folks like that and your path well. And, and, you know, I'm not sure how you would approach it differently. Maybe.
3: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you're right in that it's this calculation we'd need a, we, we could spend all day trying to get into the brain of someone like, you know, Mitch McConnell and probably, yeah. you know, be going in circles, but it comes from this kind of like, you know, I'm going to, do what I can. My job is to get in the way of things. I'm going to do what I can for the people who are the job creators, quote unquote. I think it's a a warped sense of trickle down economics that has never worked, uh, that, and, and kind of rugged individualism, this, this mythology of America that, you know, everyone got what they got because they worked hard and weren't given, you know, despite the history of, of the country. So I think, you know, that's, you know, we could have a long debate about that, but I do think uh, putting pressure, the good thing is we have a good, let's win in January, you know, do the best we can in, in, in Georgia, get the Senate, and then
2: and then you're Hopefully in a situation we will. where you can have some serious. We're going to go to break now, uh, oh, but sure. when we get back from break, uh, we'll be there'll be more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon, our pr- provocative progressive political panel today with Montgomery County, uh, Maryland Councilman Will Joando and progressive activist Mark Ribaldi. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, And welcome back to our radio listeners. And by the way, if you're a radio listener and you would like to watch the show as well as listen to it, uh, you can see us on, per- uh, if you go to this website, uh, I have my own channel apparently on Periscope TV, which is kind of <laughs> scary, uh, but the, uh, the website address is periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon, periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. So if you're a radio listener and you'd like to watch as well as listen, that's where you should go. Uh, we are talking uh, with the provocative progressive political panel today. Our guests on the panel um, are are Will Joando who is a veteran of the Obama administration uh, and also uh, a member of the Montgomery County, Maryland County Council. Uh, we're also talking to Mark Grimaldi, progressive political activist. Uh, Let me ask you this question, Will, about the uh, Biden cabinet. Uh, It seems to me, and I'd like your comments on this, uh, that uh, Joe Biden's uh, cabinet appointments are very competent people, uh, which is more than we can say from the previous administration. Uh, They're people he knows well. Uh, I believe that many of uh, Donald Trump's cabinet Uh, picks, uh, including his first secretary of state, were people he had never met. And we know how that worked out. Uh, And it's certainly uh, a diverse cabinet. Um, As you said, we have the first African-American secretary of defense. Uh, We have the first woman who uh, is going to be uh, secretary of treasury. And actually, my favorite appointment um, is the uh, secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, um, who's a Latino immigrant. And I thought to my his name is Alejandro uh, Mayorkas. And I thought to myself, what a great way to demonstrate that you're going to break uh, with the racist Trump policies, uh, especially on immigration, uh, by appointing a Latino immigrant to head of the department. So it seems to me, uh it you know, he's done a, a good job. He's certainly diverse, and they're certainly competent. uh What's your take on the Biden cabinet, Will?
3: Well, I think you laid it out there pretty nice, Brad. I mean, I, it's a competent, proven group. You know, some would say, you know, if you're, some would say, well, hey, let's. I would have liked to turn the page and have a lot more new people. and But, you know, look, Joe Biden has been in the Senate and in government for, you know, 40 plus years. He's going to go with who, who he trusts and who he knows can get the job done and who, who he knows can serve to get us back on the right track. Right. You know, he's he, I think he really believes that he's a, a bridge president. And uh, and I think you got a nice mix, to your point, of new folks, but also folks that he trusts and that have been in been around and know what they're doing. And to dig out of all the trouble that was underreported because of the daily, yes. uh, you know, antics of the president, it's going to take some people who understand these systems to to really undo what's been done in these agencies. So I think in that respect, it was smart.
2: Okay. Uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on the uh, Biden cabinet?
0: Yes, and I think what uh, a point that Will just brought up is there's so much. These are the things we hear about that have been reported. But this administration, you know, since Watergate, I, you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an administration that's done so much, you know, under the table, if you will, um, to you know, hurt this country. And, and once the layer is peeled back, it's going to be a lot worse than I think people realize, even those of us who follow the news closely. Um, I do think uh, President-Elect Biden has done an excellent job um, with the reported nominees for his administration. I think they're all, you know, supremely qualified for the positions. And also, I really like that he is nominating people who look like today's America because it's so important after the devastating uh, four years, you know, nearly four years that we've had under this administration. Um, and to, to speak about two points that Will and you were discussing, I just wanna give you a couple numbers, or our audience a couple numbers, um, that one report was regarding the um, uh, immigration policy that you were talking about, Brad, since November 18th when the Trump administration was ordered to stop expelling um, unaccompanied migrant children after that uh, Judge Sullivan order on November 18th. Today, there's reports from CBS News that at least 66 unaccompanied migrant children have been um, ejected from this country without a court hearing or an asylum interview. Um, so that that's still going on. People think it's over, but it's not. And then the other thing is regarding this pandemic aid, um, this is these are numbers I think we talked about last week, Brad. But nearly seven million Americans are at risk of being evicted. Okay, without without homes, as the CDC's temporary uh, moratorium on evictions is set to expire at the end of this month. Um, you also have on December twenty sixth, twelve. So the day after Christmas, twelve million more unemployed people will lose their federal and state unemployment benefits with that three hundred dollar weekly bonus that's from the CARES Act. Um, the act that Will was talking about, and then the pause mm-hmm. on federal student loans is set to end January 31st, so loan officers would be able to start charging interest again. So these crises are, are still going on. So these people, to, to swing back around to the original point, who are in these positions, it is extremely important that they are ready. This this saying of ready to you know ready on day one was I think an important one, but man. I can't imagine a time that it's more important than now. These people need to be ready and in position to stop these, stop the bleeding and then start to reverse it. So I, I, I feel confident that the choices that he's making, um, but I think people are, you know, we'll see hopefully the American people give them time to do their job because they have to realize the challenges that they're facing. I mean, think about, you know, Will worked in the Obama administration I still remember when he took office, it was such a hopeful time, but we also realized the financial um, disaster that he was inheriting from the Bush administration. Well, think about right now, you're inheriting a financial disaster. You also have the worst COVID numbers in the world of any industrialized nation because of the mishandling of the Trump administration and you have these crises at the border. And we just saw the terrible job that they've already done with planning for vaccine distribution. So um, these nominees, thank God they're well-qualified because they're going to need to be.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, let me ask you something. Uh, it strikes me how difficult uh, the wrangling is right now uh, with Mitch McConnell over this uh pandemic relief package. That's a third of the size. That's only a third of the size is what the House passed back in months ago. And it seems to me that, uh, and, you know, there's still a lot of discussion. Uh, Mitch McConnell wants uh, liability for corporations to be part of the package. Uh, Bernie Sanders wants a $1,200 payment. Uh, to uh, individuals like they got in the first package. Uh, but, you know, even if we get some kind of package, it, it's, it, it's going to be a pretty bare and minimum package. And, you know, that leads to my question. Uh, Joe Biden may or may not have a Senate majority to work with by the time he's inaugurated on January 20th, depending upon what happens in Georgia. But even if Democrats win both seats in Georgia, he'll have a bare majority in the Senate, which won't give the new president much running room. So my question is, you know, especially given how difficult it is to get a minuscule pandemic relief package passed, how does Joe Biden work around uh, uh, Mitch McConnell? Uh, he there clearly he can issue executive orders, uh, which Donald Trump, uh, issued at the drop of a hat. Some of them blatantly unconstitutional, in my opinion. So how does, you know, as a veteran of the Obama administration, um, how does uh, Joe Biden work around Mitch McConnell?
3: Well, I think number one, come in with, you know, you have to, you have to have a plan uh, of attack and, and they're working on that. Um,
2: and, and and as a
3: creature, you know, a longtime senator, he knows that as well. Uh, and then you have to, I think we talked about this a little earlier, you know, we have a better Senate map. The Democrats do going into 20, uh, the next election, going into 2022, they're defending more. Um, and so you have to really put some pressure on those. Uh,
2: folks in those seats that are at risk, and a good example is Rob Portman in Ohio, yeah. uh, who will f- a Republican who will face a tough re-election campaign in 2022. And boy, and my, and I used to work for Sherrod Brown as
3: my other. Yep. You know, I worked for him in the Senate, and boy, in Ohio, are folks struggling in in yeah. so many ways. And so I think connecting that relief and the aid that's not coming, and put hanging it right on the neck of those. Republicans who are fighting, I think that's going to be a big part of it. Um, and but if even if and then acting quickly and on the com, conversely, if you do get the Senate majority, even if it's briefly and, and and a tenuous one, you know one of the first things we did in the Obama administration, we came out with the Recovery Act in a big way right away, and and that had an impact. And I think this is a different scale and magnitude, but that needs to happen right away as well. And so I think those are two things that I would have that plan to attack those senators and really make it plain, you know, you're seeing these food distributions, people are seeing them. These are the folks getting in the way of getting help
2: to ordinary people. Okay. Uh, anyway, that's it for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon today. Uh, thanks to our guest, uh, Sarah Jones from Politicus USA, Montgomery County, Maryland council member Will Joando, and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. I'm here Mondays at 3 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. If the Lord is willing, the creek don't rise, and if Trump doesn't declare martial law before he's out the door. Uh, this is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay sane if you can while the pandemic rages and Trump is still in the White House. I'll be next back next week, same bat time, same bat channel.
3: This holiday season, remember the families who've lost loved ones to COVID-19. Don't risk losing your loved ones. Stay vigilant, make smart choices, avoid indoor gatherings, and wear a mask. Spread hope, not COVID. For tips, visit michigan.gov holiday
2: 2020.
3: A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services.